Good morning. It's good to see everybody. Uh, thank you for coming. First of all, I just want to say thanks so much to uh, Mark and Kristen for allowing me to speak this morning about the cloud and the line. Now, some of you I know are very kind of familiar with the uh, Kingdom Principle teaching, and uh, so this will be familiar to you, but hopefully it'll be a refresher as we uh, pray. The, the idea of this morning really is because last year uh, when we produced a book uh, to train missionaries around the world, uh, we really kind of felt, I certainly felt, that it would be great to have a commissioning service where we prayed a blessing on the book and prayed that God would use it. So uh, this morning really is me sharing a summary of the message of the book and us praying on it. And uh, for those of you familiar with the church, you know that this is uh, like the headquarters, if you like, of uh, the Pays Project where we train and send missionaries out into four different continents, specifically in schools. So I'm going to pray, if that's okay, at the beginning, and then just ask God's uh, you know, anointing on me as I talk this morning. Let's pray. Well, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you uh, for the themes and concepts and images that you have talked about in your word. And we pray even now, over the next few minutes, as we just look into your word and begin to ponder it, that you will, by your spirit, uh, give us new revelation. Lord, even if we've heard this many times before, Lord, may you give us new revelation in our hearts and our minds. In your name we ask it, Lord. Amen. Um, so, over the last few years, um, obviously I've been involved in sending people into schools in Europe and Africa, in North America and soon to be South America and Asia as well. And Jesus, uh, at one point, challenges the Pharisees and he says to them, all you do is you travel over land and sea and you just make people more sons of devils than even you are. So that was a bit of a challenge to me. I thought, you know, what years ago when I read that, I thought, when, I'm, when, you know, when we're sending people, what are we sending them out with? What actually is the message? I know it's the gospel, but exactly what is that message? Uh, and one of the things I believe is that the way we enter the Bible often affects the way we exit it. If all we do when we enter the Bible is use this Bible to find life principles for life, then all that happens is we live a Christianized life. If all we're looking for is the same things that the pagans that Jesus talks about looks for, but in the Christian version, I'm not sure it's going to give us the alternative lifestyle that God has for us and that Jesus talks about. If all we're doing is making our main pursuit in life wealth, health and happiness, but we're just doing the Jesus version of it, as good as that might be, it's not what God has for us. God has something much more special than that. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And, and the journey for me started with this question. The question, where have all the nights gone? Where have all the nights gone? If you open your Bible, please turn it to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to read a couple of verses from there. Ephesians 6, I'm going to start reading at verse 10. And it says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord... And in his mighty power, put on the full armour of God, so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms." Years and years ago there was a magazine article, a Christian magazine article in England, and it's most favourite title or the thing, the article that got more response than any other was this. Why are Christian men such wimps? 
Only the girls laughed. Did you notice that? <laughs> Why are Christian men such wimps? Why are there so many Christian men who can live that kind of half-life? Where have all the knights gone? I am a Gibbs, uh, and the Gibbs have a shield, and it's uh, three battle axes, which when I was younger, my dad told me, represented my mum and my two grandmothers. That's not true, okay, that is not true. Uh, but I'm a Picts, uh, sorry, the, I'm a Gibbs, and the, the history of the Gibbs is as Picts from northeast of Scotland. Uh, the Picts uh, were, uh, they were called Picts because it means the tattooed people. They were the people who kind of painted themselves blue. If you saw the modern film, Arthur, they're the ones who side with Merlin in this fictitious story, painting themselves blue. So it's not that interesting, but what was interesting to me is that the, the uh, statement of the Gibbs is firm of purpose. I want to be firm of purpose. But my question is, what is my purpose as a Christian? Is it really to travel over land and sea and through bloodshed and force and the offer of simply a better life convince people to become like me? Is that my purpose? Uh, On my mother's side, uh, I'm a Munro. So my grandfather was a Munro. And uh, the Munros were an interesting bunch of people. They were a clan. They... They uh, were part of what's called the Black Watch, which you may or may not be familiar with. The Monroes are interesting because they were very strongly sided and aligned themselves to the king. And they fought alongside all different kings. And one of the famous uh, kings that they kind of fought uh, with was Robert the Bruce. And there's a really interesting story about Robert the Bruce. And it's told quite often, but Robert the Bruce, when he died, he asked that a good knight would cut out his heart and take it to the Holy Land. So that's what happened. One day he died, and a man took out his heart at night, and he carried it with him in a little uh, box, a little metal uh, container around his neck. And the story goes, history tells us, that one day there was a fight, there was a battle, and the guy, the, the, the king was losing, this knight was losing the battle, and he needed a way of getting all these troops to kind of fight back, because they were getting pushed back. So what he did was he ripped this heart from around his neck, showed his troops, because all his troops knew this was Robert the Bruce, who they absolutely adored and were inspired by. He turned back and he threw it behind the enemy lines and then with a roar shouted, fight for the heart of your king. It's an interesting story. Now, the heart of Robert the Bruce is now buried in Melrose Abbey in Scotland. Uh, It's buried under the ground. Nobody's ever going to fight for that heart again. The question is, will people fight for the heart of our king? And what is in the heart of God? Exactly. What is it that Jesus came for? Was it simply came? Did he simply come to give us a few rules and guidelines and some ideas of how to live a better life? There's something about this heart religion that Christianity is. I think it was Hosea, one of the prophets, was commanded by God to marry a prostitute. It seems so crazy. Why? So that he could feel what God feels about those he loves when they commit adultery, when they fall away, when they they break away. This incredible idea that, that our faith is more than rules. It's about the rule of God. And rule means relationship. When somebody rules over you, you have a relationship. It's not about the rules, but it is about the rule. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about making his dream our dream. 
fighting for the heart of the king. What is in the heart of the king? Well, the book is called The Cloud and the Lion. And I'm just going to simply explain this to you. The Cloud and the Lion. And a while back, I was thinking through this whole idea of is just putting more Christians in schools actually going to make a difference? Because, you know, we've had well over a thousand young, passionate people on pays. And what I've noticed is that some of them are just like the world. They just are Christianised. But there are some that are truly fighting for the heart of the king. And, and I tried to think about how do I how to picture this? How do I explain this? And, and what kind of occurred to me, I was inspired, inspired by a couple of things, is it's like many of us live on the line. We live on this line. And on this line... There are extremes. At one end, there are things we should not do. And at the other end, are the things that we should do. And for some of us, our faith, our Christian life, our religion, has simply become a question of how far can I go before I get punished? How far can I go before there's a consequence? And what must I do in order to get a reward? So you ask all sorts of questions and we begin to work out where we should be on this line. We ask things like, how much should I give? Should I tithe? Uh, if you're not familiar with that expression, it's the expression meaning that many Christians believe we should give a tenth of our income for the work of God. Should I tithe? If I tithe, should I tithe on my gross income or my net income? I don't know if you've ever been involved in that discussion. And it's this constant working out. And I'm really there thinking, is God in heaven looking down and thinking, oh, I hope they get this one right? Or is there something in his heart that is more than that? Something that is above the line. You know, there are things uh, when we think like boys and girls in relationships, you know, how far should I go? Should I hold hands? Should I kiss? What can I touch? And we get all youth pastors giving those cheesy lines like, if you've not got one, don't touch theirs. You know, we have all these kind of ways, these kind of cheesy billboards of working out what you can and what you cannot do. And then you just think to yourself, is that really what God, is God thinking there? Oh, that was a good one, I haven't thought about that. If they haven't got one, don't touch theirs. You know, is he thinking about something more than that? You know, how long should my skirt be? Should it be ankle high, knee high, mini? I shouldn't wear a skirt, that one's easier. <laughs> but for some of you, I know that is a big question. What do we do? Do we tie how more serious things like how much do I need to forgive? How often should I forgive? Even the disciples asked that of Jesus, didn't they? how often should I forgive and we do all this kind of working out when, and when then we go to people and we say well this is what they did to me and this is what I did and then they said this and then I said this and then you know what they went and did this but I didn't do this what should I do it's a working out of how often we should forgive but I believe there are principles that are higher than that that are in God's heart um, in the days of Jesus there was something called Halakha and Halakha is the religious rules, uh, the guidelines, the working out. There was a Sanhedrin, this whole government, that would look at the rules and work out how a community should live. But when Jesus came, he preached something different. When Jesus came, he preached something called Haggadah. He preached about rules, but usually when he was asked, 
what Jesus, what was in his heart when he stood up and he spoke was something different. I thought about this a while back. You know when you meet somebody and they haven't seen you for a while and they open their mouth, well the thing that's going to come out of them is the thing that they're most excited about, isn't it? Unless you're English and it's always the weather first, okay? (laughs) But after that, it's pretty much the thing that you're really excited about. And then sometimes we get people talking about things they're not excited about, but we're interested in. We ask them questions and then they start to respond. Well, when you think about that with Jesus, think about the things that came out of his mouth when when nobody was asking questions. What came out was the kingdom. What came out was the dream of the Father. They're the things that came out. What came out was a picture of how life would be if it was under the kingdom of God. For some of us, even though Jesus talks about the kingdom more than anything else, we don't actually know what that means. It's amazing how many times I say to a Christian, what does the kingdom of God mean? And most people pause, hesitate, not sure, maybe it's something about the afterlife. But the kingdom of God, the the Greek word used in the Bible, basilia, if I pronounce that correct, means the rule, the realm, the reign, or the royalty of God. Mm. And Jesus is, what's in his heart, and what he's passing on to us, and the word that comes out of his mouth, if he was to meet us right now, I think would be, hey, will you seek first the kingdom of God, and trust me for everything else? Seek first the kingdom of God. Now what does it look like to seek first the kingdom of God? Well, I'm just going to read one little bit from the Bible, uh, from, not the Bible, the book. <laughs> that was not a Freudian slip, I promise. Okay? Um, what I want you to do is a little exercise in this that I thought might be helpful for us to do, just to help us. So if you can close your eyes, I'm just going to read this to you, just for a few moments. <coughs> My favourite English version of the... <coughs> Sorry. My favourite English version of the foundational principle of seek first (coughs) is the New Living Translation. I think it illustrates what Jesus had in mind more clearly than the others. And he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Try this exercise. Close your eyes. First picture your local community or school, or supermarket, or factory, or office. Then imagine that everything going on in that place is happening as things happen in heaven. Mm-hmm. What visual images come to mind when you think of Jesus' command to love God and love one another displayed at your local Walmart? Mm-hmm. What footage do you see when you visualise his grace and mercy dominating your local neighbourhood? What scenarios play out in your imagination if his level of honesty, integrity and ethics were tantamount in your workplace? What do you see? If you make that vision your top priority in life, then you are seeking first. And if you do this, his promise is for you. If you do not, it is not. Okay, please open your... What do you see? What do you see? In the word of God, the cloud virtually always represents the presence of God. The spirit of God. In the book we go into the details of that. The spirit of God. I would say the heart of God or the purposes of God. Jesus wants us to live above the line. That's why I like to use the idea of this uh, theme of nights because nights were people who were commissioned to basically live courageously yep. what everybody else believed. Yep. 
to defend and fight for their king. So the question I have to ask myself is, when was the last time I actually fought for the king? Because he gives us this choice. He gives us this incredible freedom. It's absolutely incredible. See, we almost have two choices of freedom, it seems to me, at least in the Bible. In the Old Testament, particularly, we had the freedom from choice. Now we seem to have a freedom of choice. Let me explain. In the Old Testament, everything was ordered. There were rules for literally pretty much everything. Jesus, or God, shaped the community to display his glory and justice by giving them a freedom from choice. He set up rules and regulations, stipulations and systems. But in this new covenant, this new era, if you like, there's this freedom of choice. Where, in this brave new world, the word of God says this, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. So now we have this choice. And it's interesting because when we look at our lives with all this choice, we now have to ask the question, it reveals something about our heart, because it asks us the question, beneficial to whom, constructive to what? Beneficial to whom, constructive to what? On pays, I think, simply put, our team members and even our team leaders have a freedom from choice. They're basically told what to do day to day. You know, their, their agenda is planned, there's all sorts of stipulations, there's guidelines, there's uh, all sorts of things that they can turn to. And their day pretty much is planned out usually by other people. So sometimes when we do that, when we're just following rules, we can be camouflaged. You know, it's it said that in ministry, it's the easiest place to backslide because half the time you wouldn't know. Because you do the kind of things that Christians do. That's right. You go to church, yep. you read your Bible, you pray. It's part of the routine. Mm-hmm. But with our staff, with those who like my, we call them hub leaders, with people who, who don't have anybody setting their agenda, suddenly we have this freedom of choice. My life has a freedom of choice. Nobody tells me pretty much what to do day to day. I don't turn up in an office, clocking at a certain time, clock off at a certain time. So therefore, I've got, if you like, just basically a blank page. My life or my day is a blank page. What happens at the end of the, that day tells me something about why I really believe in. That's right. Did I sit behind a desk and just manage other people doing the kind of things that are easy for me to do? Mm-hmm. Or did I stretch myself go out of my comfort zone and begin to do things that lead and advance the kingdom of God. We have this wonderful freedom of choice that Jesus has given us and commissioned. And he's saying, look, the rules are still in place. Jesus said, I've not come to get rid of the line. I've not come to get rid of the rules. I've come to fulfill them. I've come to show you what a life truly fighting for the heart of the king actually looks like. And now it's your choice because we're saved by grace we don't do this stuff to get to heaven we don't do this stuff to earn brownie points we don't pay our tithes because we're paying the spiritual mafia we're not doing any of that that's not what this is about what this is about is because we've received those things we have a choice to live above the line the cloud on the line is not anti-line it's a call to live above it in fact you can't live above the line if there's no line to live above So we need rules, 
We need the commandments of the word of God. But Jesus says in this brave new world, you have this choice. Because what he's looking for is a heart religion, a heart faith. And so knights have an oath. I'm going to show you another video. And uh, there are many things that we could look at and, and talk about as oaths in the Bible. Many promises that we can make. I just want to show you a video because it links to something later. And this is a, this is a, a short clip of a, a young man who's been knighted by his father. Why don't you to listen to the words that are said and the process that he goes through. Just love this for, for a reason you'll see later. This is a, a story of a father who's about to die and he passes on, he knights his son. And later on you'll see what happens when he knights his son. So God has given us this oath. And like I said, when Jesus came, we had halakha, we had the rules and the, and the laws, and there were many rabbis in Jesus' time who, who were concentrated, or specialised, you could say, in halakha. When Jesus came, he concentrated on something called Haggadah. And Haggadah are the, the parables, or the, the um, riddles, or the fables that are told. And what they're told for, the reason they're told, is to show the spirit within the law, to show the heart behind those rules and those regulations. And Jesus came to talk about those things. Jesus talked about hidden things, things that weren't obvious. Uh, He talked about things that need to be discovered, a pearl in a field, weed hidden amongst corn, goats hidden among sheep, yeast hidden in lump of dough. Mark 4 verse 22, Jesus says, For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. I think this is another test for us because for many of us, like I said before, as we go into the Bible, as we go into the Word of God, what do you actually see? Well, let me rephrase that. What can you see? Can you just see the words? Can you just see the rules and regulations? Or can you see behind those words? Can you see the heart? Can you see the purpose in them? Can you see the love? Can you see the desire that God has in those words behind the letters on the page? In the book, at the back of the book, we have a, a simple um, oath. Uh, uh, we wrote this just based on the kingdom principles. There are six kingdom principles. We're going to put, I think, a slide if we can do that. We're going to put a slide up of the six kingdom principles, at least what they refer to. Let me just read some of the questions that are in uh, the book. Because there are six seeking, judging, storing, using, reaping and humbling. And each one looks at questions line dwellers ask and questions cloud dwellers ask. I'm not going to read them all that, but let me read just a, a selection of them for you. We seek in, line dwellers ask, how much is required? What guarantees will I get in return? Cloud dwellers, moved by his, are moved by his questions. How often do you dream my dream? What price tag would you put on it? You see, a tithe is not there to pay the spiritual mafia. A tithe is there to give God a war chest to destroy the works of the enemy. That's what it's there for. That's what our offerings are for. That's what our giving is for. Judging line dwellers challenge God by asking their questions, how much should I give? Cloud dwellers instead are challenged by his questions. Will you first take the plank out of your own eye? Will you compare yourself to me and not to him or her? When we store things up, Line dwellers ask, which movie rating is okay for me to watch? How short can my skirt length be? How far can I go? But cloud dwellers are compelled by his questions. How much do you care about my reputation? How much of my power do you want in your religion? In using, line dwellers 
ask the question, what great thing can you give me that is worth me doing great? But cloud dwellers are encouraged by his questions, will you risk the little you have on those who have maybe even less? In reaping, when it comes to investing in the future, line dwellers are goaded by their questions, what can I do now that will benefit me soon? Cloud dwellers, however, are guided by his questions, what will you do now so that others can benefit from it in the future? Amen. When it comes to humbling, when it comes to modelling God, line dwellers are inhibited by their questions, how do I avoid the limelight in order to avoid personal humiliation? How do I avoid anonymity in order to gain personal recognition? Cloud dwellers, however, are inspired by his questions. Will you serve me, not people, in order to bring glory to me, not you? Will you demonstrate faithfulness so I can show myself faithful? Amen. I love the word of God because it's exciting and it's incredible, but I also love discovering more and more things. And what uh, we seek to do with the, the cloud on the line is begin to reveal more and more of the purposes and the heart of God in these six kingdom principles. And sometimes the problem with the kingdom principles is this, is that they're stated explicitly very rarely. They're in there, but they're rarely. But you see them all the way through the Bible. Uh, years and years and years ago, uh, I had a girlfriend called Tracy. And uh, her mum and dad had a yellow Datsun Roadster car. And I remember, I'm sure this happened to you, that before I went out with Tracy, I never recognised those cars. I never noticed them. But then afterwards, I saw them everywhere. Has that ever happened? That's what I believe will happen with this book. That's what I'd like you to pray for with this book. Is that as this goes out to people all over the world, goes into schools and is taught into schools, that people will suddenly notice something and see everywhere. They'll see it in the Old Testament. They'll see the principle in the Old Testament. They'll see the principle in the New Testament. When they're having a conversation with a workmate, they'll see the principle. It'll flash into their mind and they'll be able to help. Because the fact is, principles more than prophecies shape us. I love prophecies. Uh, I, I would suggest there's probably nobody in the room that's received more or given even more than me. There may be others like Mark and Kristen who, who've been involved in that. I love prophecies. I'm just not sure they shape our character in the same way that principles do. For me, in my life at least, they've been like circumstances. They've been for a time. They've helped me. Sometimes they've encouraged me for the future. Sometimes they've guided me a little bit for the future. But it's Christ's principles that really shape our character. And the Word of God says that it's character that brings hope. There's a long list, perseverance, all these different things. But what it leads to is character that brings hope. Now, if you're like me, I struggle with my character. There are areas I'm doing really good at and areas I'm not so good. When I was younger, in our home, we had four little gardens, very small but very little patches of gardens because we lived on a corner. There were three at the fronts. One on this road, one on that road, and one in the corner. And my dad looked after them really well. They were gorgeous. They were alpine rockeries, because in the 70s that was trendy. Okay, they were nice. Certain aubrecia and English flowers. An English garden, it was gorgeous. There was a fourth garden at the back, and it was full of weeds. It was a mess, because nobody saw it. Many of our lives are like that. There are certain areas that we present to others, and they're weeded, and they're clean, and they're gorgeous, and they're lovely, and we judge other people on their garden that's similar to us at the front. But actually many of us have got these gardens at the back that are overgrown, these areas of our lives and there's weeds and it's a mess. It's hidden, but it's a mess. I think the kingdom principles help us with these things. 
you know, I love that Kristen talked about being victorious before. That's what this is about. It's about being victorious in areas that we all struggle with. And those areas are different. You know, for some of us in certain areas, your garden's great, it's beautiful, it's pretty, it's weeded, mine's not. But in my area, there may be, my life, there may be other gardens that are nice and yours not. But the kingdom principles help us because they help shape us. They help us go beyond just the rules to the heart of God and applying those things in our lives. Knights understand the principles of their code of chivalry. Hebrews 5 verse 12 says this, In fact, lo, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths or principles, the King James says, of God's word all over again. And the word it uses in Greek is estokian, a serial, orderly arrangement derived from another word to march in military rank to keep in step to conform. These principles are all the way through the Bible, marching through the Bible. They're keeping step with everything Jesus ever said and everything the Father ever revealed. Okay, one last thought. If you become a knight of the kingdom principles, I believe we'll be better fighters. I'm going to show you the last video clip and I'm going to finish just after that. Uh, This video clip is later on. The son who's been knighted by his father is now in Jerusalem. And because of the misguided crusades where we thought we could convert people through bloodshed, there's been an absolute mess. And he's defending this city. And he's called to talk to the city about really what what they've got to do and what comes next. I'm going to show the clip. And I want to make one point about the gospel afterwards. I love that clip because it, it demonstrates to me what I think the gospel is. The father knights the son to alter the world. And then the son knights anyone who will bow the knee to him that's the gospel we're invited to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth lastly Jesus said to a young woman he made her a promise a young woman who wasn't really worthy to even speak to him but he made her this promise he said to her a time is now coming when the true worshippers will worship the father in spirit and truth for they are the kinds of worshippers the Father seeks. That time is here and that time is now. And that excites me. Let's pray. I'm just going to invite the band to come. They're going to leave us in one more song. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that the time is here and the time is now for us to rise up but to first bow the knee to you. Lord, we thank you that you want to empower us and Lord, you've given us principles to live our lives by. Lord, this is about your word, not about a book. Uh, But Lord, we we want to get the message out, Lord. There is more than just rules and regulations. Lord, we want to set people free from religion. Lord, to be truly connected with what religion really means, to be connected with you in a true way. That they will submit to your rule not simply to your rules, that I have a relationship with you, not just your book. Lord, we thank you for your great goodness. We thank you for your great kindness. We pray, Lord, that in, Lord, through uh, Lord, my average writing skill, Lord, that you will use this, we pray, Lord, to touch a lot of lives, Lord. And in all the lessons around the world where this will be taught in the schools, in America, in Africa, in England, in Germany, in Europe, in South America, in Brazil, we pray that you will know every speaker and every person who shares this message, in your name we ask it, Lord. Amen.